We are in Philippians chapter 1 this morning, and uh, we'll be going through the end of the chapter. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn there to verse 12. Uh, growing up, I had, uh, I'd never really been very athletic, but throughout my freshman year of high school, an undiagnosed thyroid disease left me unnaturally thin. And when I say unnaturally thin, I mean the same height I am now, and 115, that's 115 pounds. Uh, the illness that I had made me prone to long periods of anxiety and intense nervousness, and often I would go entire nights without sleep. It, I, was, I was a mess until my parents were finally able to, uh, to find a, a new doctor who was able to diagnose my problem and then get me, get me started on treatment. With my parents' help, God's grace, I slowly worked my way back to a semblance of health. Believe me, I worked hard. But there was this one thing that I wanted to do, and I wanted to do it almost more than anything else I could think of, but I'd never really had the strength or the stamina nor the, nor the wind uh, to accomplish it. And that was to run long distances. You know, I, I'd, I'd watch these guys running. I'd go to the track meets and things like that and across country. And I'd think, man, I'd love to be able to do something like that. But I, I do have to tell you, when I say long distances, I'm only talking about a couple of miles. But at that time, a run like that was like a marathon for me. And that brings me to two of my friends from the church I grew up in. Al and Steve. Al had been our youth minister, and he was a retired Vietnam veteran in great shape and intended to stay that way. Steve was a friend of mine, a couple of years older than me, and he was one of the star athletes in our high school, and among the sports he excelled in was distance running. And I found out that they were running together on a regular basis, and so I went to them and I asked them, hey, could I join you in running so that I could get used to this running distances? And um, they said, sure, but you've got to try to keep up. I'm not sure that they understood what they were getting themselves into. I, I know I didn't. That, that first night, they said that they were going to take it easy on me. And so they cut their run back to three miles, not wanting to let them know that I struggled running around the block, uh, I enthusiastically responded, well, well, sure, that's no problem. No sooner did I get started, I found out it was a problem, a really big problem. Barely into the run, I was huffing and puffing like, well, like the wolf in the story of the three little pigs. And it was not long until Al and Steve discovered that if I was going to finish this, I was going to need a lot of help. All along that route, they took turns circling back over and over and over again, telling me, you can do it, David. You can do it. Keep going. Don't give up. Come on, David. You can do it. It was actually kind of cool, only I'm not really sure that I was hearing all of that, okay? You know, those guys probably ran six miles that night just because they were circling back to keep, to keep me going. 
Frankly, early on, I concluded there was no way I was going to finish three miles. Absolutely no way on earth. My legs felt like rubber and my lungs felt like Swiss cheese. But hearing my brothers rooting me on, I kept going. Sometimes at about a snail's pace, but I kept going. Until finally, exhausted, I collapsed on the front lawn of Al's house, uh, the finish line. I made it. And um, as tired as I was, uh, to be honest with you, I, I was really even more excited that I'd been able to finish what I had started, what I had been convinced that six blocks into the run was going to be an impossibility for me was made possible because I had brothers to encourage me. Churches are like that. Uh, Churches like Philippi, uh, the daily strains and stresses of living in a messed up world were difficult enough, but you add to the normal challenges the fact that uh, their hero, Paul, was under arrest in Rome and seemingly kept alive only at the the whims of a notoriously cruel ruler named Nero. And there was the pressure of infighting among various factions in their own congregation, division that took the breath right out of them. And Then news came that one of their own number who had traveled to Rome to help Paul was now gravely ill, near death, some reports said. These believers must have felt like, well, what's the use? And when things were about as bad as they could get, a letter arrived from none other than Paul. A letter sent to encourage these beleaguered brothers and sisters that as long as they had God, there was hope. In fact, God was already using the very things that were troubling them, using them to grow his church. Verse 12 of Philippians 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the the whole imperial guard, and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy, rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. 
But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's stop there. Most Christians back then saw Paul the same way we do today, a a hero of the faith, because no one had impacted the world for Christ the way Paul had. Yet Paul saw himself as anything but a hero. Rather, Paul seemed to be in the business of showing others how they could, well, they could all do the very things that he was doing. Go back and read through his letters Read through his sermons. Read through his prayers. And what you will find is that Paul was constantly, well, like my friends, circling back to tell the people, to tell everyone, Christians of every generation, look, you can do this. You can finish. You can get there because God is with you. Engaging faith-driven citizenship in God's kingdom is intended for every single believer. God not only expects his children to make a difference in the world, he empowers us to do so. Paul said that for him to live is Christ, and then he set about to show us an example of how that gets done. And it's not that complicated. It really isn't. For one thing, He makes it clear we need to take advantage of every situation. Paul developed this to an art form almost, using whatever was happening at the moment, wherever he was, whatever was going on around him, and giving such moments to God so that God could use them for his glory. Verse 12, he refers to those things that had happened to him. Just a little shorthand, little, just a few words put together. But they recall some, an incredible series of events that began with Paul at the temple at Jerusalem. Maybe you remember the story back at Acts chapter 21. Uh, he, he's in Jerusalem. He's there to help people. He has brought an offering to help poor believers in the area, and he is minding his own business. He is not advancing some campaign. He is not front and center in the middle of the street. He is just minding his own business when a misunderstanding by someone that saw him, well, they falsely accused Paul of breaking a sacred Jewish law. And as a result, People stop listening to any kind of reason. They stopped listening to anything that Paul had to say. And he was nearly torn apart by a riotous mob. He was arrested. He was threatened. He was unfairly imprisoned in Judea for over two years. Forced to appeal to Caesar in order to escape certain death at the hands of the Jews. And he was finally shipped off to Rome for trial in Nero's court. Even then, you might recall the story, the ship on which Paul was being transported was caught in a ferocious storm that battered the voyagers 
in pitch darkness for over two weeks. And when the darkness lifted and the land was finally spotted, and they tried to make sure their ship was torn to pieces. But Paul not only survived all that, he eventually was brought safely to Rome only to be kept there as a prisoner. Anybody know how long? Two more years of his life in chains. Now, you can go home this, this afternoon and you can read the full account of that entire odyssey, Acts chapter 21 through 28. And what you will find is something that might be surprising to you. So we look at events like this. We look at these things that were going on in Paul's life. And we think of his courage. We think of his tenacity. We think of, we think of his faith. But what we find when we go back and we look at the story in depth is that Paul planned absolutely none of this. He simply took advantage of what was happening around him and to him. He could see the hand of God working in his life, everywhere in his life, because he was looking for it. See, that's how he developed such a keen spiritual insight. Lots of practice. That's how he could see all these things that were happening to him, rather than detracting from his ministry, instead serving to advance the gospel, Paul says. It was really a matter of perspective. That word advance refers to the forward movement of something. It's, a, it's actually a military term. It's used to describe an army's advance in spite of obstacles. In Paul's case, I think Paul would say it was because of the obstacles that the gospel was advancing. One example, verse 13. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. In other words, Paul made it clear his chains were not because his enemies had the upper hand. His chains were so that Christ could use his situation. He could even use his imprisonment in order to accomplish his will. I want you to think for just a moment what it must have been like to be the guy that was chained to Paul. Okay? And, and understand, there was a soldier, a Roman soldier, chained to Paul every moment of every day. During each watch, some guy would say, okay, it's my turn. And then they would un unhook the one and hook up the other. And there would be this soldier chained to Paul everywhere he went. Imagine what that must have been like. Now, it would have been pretty cool if he was a Christian, right? I mean, that would be... That'd be excellent, wouldn't it? I wouldn't you know, just love to be able to, okay, well, I'm kind of chained to Paul. I can ask him anything I want. That'd, that'd be pretty cool, right? But here's, here's the problem. What if you were just one, just some guy? And you don't know really anything about Jesus. And, and so you get chained to a guy like Paul who is so very aggressive in sharing his faith. Oh, my. You want to talk about a captive audience? Not Paul, the guard. But that was just the point Paul was trying to make. Wherever you are, whatever situation that you're in, it isn't by accident that you're there. Whatever you're going through right now, it was no surprise to God 
He knows how to place us in strategic areas where hearts have already been prepared in advance. The problem is we don't see that. And we don't see it because we get so caught up in the problems that we're facing. We miss the possibilities, but not Paul. He says he was put where he was for the defense of the gospel. John MacArthur says that that phrase, I am put here, in the original language describes a soldier being placed at his post. So think about it. You are where you are. You're in the situation that you are in right now because you've been stationed there as a soldier of God. He's prepared you and he is preparing you for what's going to happen down the line. He is using you so that you can help others, so that you can show them who Jesus is. Your job is simply to make the most of it for Christ. There's another example. It's found in verse 14. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The challenges faced by the apostle, how he handled those challenges, actually served to embolden other Christians to handle their hardships the same way. We all get that, right? I mean, we get that. Courage is contagious. You, you've had that happen in your life. You've come alongside someone and you've seen how they're handling life. And it's given you encouragement that you can do it too. You take one person at work, at school, in your neighborhood, your family, one person willing to stand up and be counted, and soon others follow. You know, we're always looking for the, the latest program and the latest gimmick, you know, so that we can get people to Jesus. And we want to we build and build bigger churches and just get more people in the seats. You know how you get more people in the seats? You touch more lives. You just go show Jesus. And you don't wait for Sunday to do it. You do it on Monday, you do it on Tuesday, you do it throughout the week, you do it at school, you do it at work, you do it when you're talking to your neighbor, you do it when you're going to the store, you, you do it when you're filling up with gas, you do it wherever you are, whatever you are doing, you're making connections with people. And you meet them where they are, and when they see you, they see Jesus. That is key. The most difficult part is getting that first person to stand up. That's really the most difficult part in any situation. Maybe God is calling you to be that person who's going to stand up and make a difference in the world around you. Maybe you're the one God wants to start a Bible club at school or a Bible study where you work. Or maybe you're the one God wants to share your faith about Jesus with the people on your block could be as basic as inviting your neighbors to church, something Ed Henry has actually become uh, famous for where he, where he is. Uh, he uses every opportunity. Just walk around the block. He sees somebody out there. He says, hey, do you have a home church? Uh, no, no, we, we don't. Oh, let me tell you about one. Look, that's not complicated stuff. That's just sharing what you love. Maybe God wants you to be that person who shares Christ with your friends, relatives, workmates, classmates. Just ask them to come to worship or small group. 
Someone's got to start. Maybe you are that someone. Bottom line, take advantage of every situation. Also, keep the main thing, the main thing. Too many of us get off to a good start, but then we get distracted by troubles and temptations, whatever Satan can use to get our attention off where it should be. And you know what one of the biggest distractions there, 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 there is for Christians? Other Christians. So one brother gets mad at another. Somebody doesn't get his or her way. A sister doesn't act the way. Everyone knows that she should. And before you know it, people are off on a finger-pointing tangent. And they're, and they're well, look at all those hypocrites. What's the use of doing the right thing when there are so many so-called Christians doing the wrong thing? I may as well not even try. Paul refused to allow the negative actions of others to have a negative impact on his ministry. It wasn't that he didn't notice hypocrites in the church. In fact, he often addressed them in pretty straightforward ways. He just wouldn't allow the actions or motives of others to keep him from doing the right thing. Even those who proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict him in his imprisonment. Paul's response, verse 18, only that in every way, whether by pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. That's all he cared about. So much damage is done to the mission of the church over hurt feelings, over what someone said about so-and-so, over what this person did or didn't do. And while we stop to put out this fire or that fire, The enemy gains a little more ground and a few more souls. Paul understood this, and this is important. The kingdom of God is not about him. The kingdom of God is not about CJ or me. The kingdom of God is about Jesus Christ. Paul's philosophy ought to be ours. Verse 21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. For Paul, life was all about Jesus. Jesus was the main thing. And Paul kept it that way. It became that straight edge by which he measured everything he did. And every time that there was a challenge, every time there was something that was going to take him off on a tangent, get him involved in something that he shouldn't be involved in, he would say, is that Jesus? Is that Jesus? Is that Jesus? Does it look like Jesus? Does it sound like Jesus? You go out into the world. You go out from this place. Look, it's easy to do the Jesus thing here. Come on. It's a piece of cake. It's when we go through those doors that it gets hard. And when we go through those doors, that question needs to continue to be asked because we have to keep the main thing. The main thing. Paul was willing to do whatever God called him to do because it was God that was calling him to do it. That was the key. You keep the main thing the main thing, then you keep the needs of others ahead of your own. That's more tricky, isn't it? Than than thinking in terms of, well, I'm going to do this for God. right? We've all made that, right? We've all said, I'm going to do such and such for God because God is wonderful. What a wonderful maker, right? We sang that song this morning. 
probably spurred you on. You were probably thinking to yourself, even as you were singing, man, I'm going to do this for Jesus Christ. Right? Am I right? But then when it's, it's, it's fine to do that for God, but how about that guy that just irritates the daylights out of you? You don't even like talking about that person at church because you don't want anybody around you to know you feel that way. I know they're in your life. They're in all our lives. But their needs have to be put ahead of our own. You only do that when you keep the main thing the main thing. Paul kept Jesus at the center of it all, and Jesus was all about people, all people, saved and lost, rich and poor, slave and free, friends and enemies. For Paul, being alive in this world simply meant more time to influence men and women for Jesus Christ. And when his time was finished, death just meant going home forever. That way of thinking is the devil's worst nightmare and our best example. Paul kept the main thing the main thing. Finally, Paul taught both word and example, whatever happens, act like you are someone. Act like you are someone. Now, I've told this story many times before, uh, thinking about when I was a child. We'd be getting ready to go someplace, We'd be going to visit, or we'd be going out to the store, or the mall, or church, or someplace. Anywhere where I was expected to be on my best behavior. And my dad would simply look at me and say, Son, act like you are someone. The idea was, being a part of our family meant something. Certain things were allowed, and certain things weren't. I was expected to behave in a way that was consistent with the pattern that had been set by my mom and dad. Whatever I might have thought of doing, I was always to remember and never forget who I was. I was Buddy and Bonnie Honeycutt's boy. My relationship with them shaped my attitude, and that attitude shaped my behavior. Same is true for children of God. We should act like we are someone because we are indeed someone sons and daughters of the almighty king of the universe, the savior of mankind. That relationship ought to shape our attitude, and that attitude ought to shape our behavior. Look, you can fake it. You can. You can just go get your list. I'll do this, 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 and this. I won't do this, 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 and this. But you'll find when you take your mind off the list, you find yourself thinking differently. No, 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 no. You have to go back to who you are. You have to go back to the fact you're a child of God to shape how you respond to life. Simply put, we do what we do because we are who we are. Paul put it this way, verse 27, only let your manner of life, the way you live, let that manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in, any, in anything by your opponents. See, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but your salvation, and that from God.
For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict you saw I had, and now here I still have. Whatever happened, Paul fully expected children of God to act like children of God. Raise your expectations, brothers and sisters. Raise them to the same level that God has for you. On my first trip to Southeast Asia, one of the stops that we made was the city of Yangon. Historically, it's, uh, people know it as Rangoon. It's eye-opening when you travel outside the U.S., especially in countries where oppression is rampant. And if you look back on the history of Myanmar, Burma, is, uh, it's also known as Burma, it's one of those countries where there is constant oppression and has been for generations. Its citizens are regularly denied freedoms you and I take for granted. Our team was met by a group of nationals who took us in a pickup truck up a steep mountain to the training center where, where, where we'd be teaching. And about halfway up that mountain, I noticed an ominous-looking building in the distance, and I asked them what, what that building was. And one of them said, oh, it's, it, that's a prison. And another of, another of the nationals quickly added, pointing to his friend, the two of us were there for two years. When I asked why, he simply said, our faith. Our faith. We tend to think of such things as happening back in Bible days, but I'm here to tell you this morning, such things, and much worse, still occur all over our world because of nothing more than our faith. But here's the thing that stood out the most about those two brothers. Even as we drove past their place of persecution, they had such incredible joy, peace in Christ that I can't even begin to describe to you. There's not a spirit of complaint or anger or fear. Far from it. Their spirit reminded me of a line from Luke's account of the apostles. After they'd been arrested and beaten for preaching the gospel, Acts 5.41 says, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That's what it felt like to be with those brothers that day. It made me want to be stronger. It made me want to step up and step out. It made, it made me want to hold on when I felt like giving up. And I can't tell you how many times I've thought back to that day, thought back to that incident in that pickup truck, and thinking if they can do that, why can't I? Why can't I? See, these were <laughs> these weren't apostles. They weren't prophets. They weren't superheroes. They were ordinary guys. Allowing themselves to be used by an extraordinary God to circle back and encourage a brother to keep on going. I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ this morning. I maybe Maybe you're here this morning and you don't, know, you, you, you don't know what it is to really know Christ, to know Him as Lord and Savior. 
Maybe you've got questions and you need to come and talk with one of us about this relationship with Jesus Christ. Believe me, there are all kinds of folks around here that would just love to spend the day talking to you about Jesus. It's our favorite thing to do. If you've got questions, then come. If you already know what to do, and you know that you need to believe in Christ, and by that faith, repent of your sins, confess Jesus as Lord, and then have your sins forever washed away. If, if you know you need to do that today, my question is, why, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? It's a gift. It's a gift. Who doesn't want a gift? What a wonderful gift. My guess is that most everybody in this room are already believers in Christ. You already, you already know Jesus. You already have him in your life or you wouldn't be here. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do as I circle back to you. I, I want to urge you to take advantage of every situation. No matter what it is, you take advantage of that situation. And you keep the main thing, the main thing. People are going to test you and try you. And they're going to try to get you off the path. But you keep the main thing, the main thing. And whatever happens, and I mean whatever happens. Brothers and sisters, you act like you are someone because you are someone. You are sons and daughters of God. When you walk through those doors... Be sons and daughters of God. Would you stand with me?